You're listening to the CFP Podcast with your host, Chappie, the college football writer, the source for your college football fix with picks, clicks, and conversions over kicks. Now, here's your host, Chappie. Here we are, here for you, and for you, we have episode number four. That's right, I'm Chappie. College football makes me happy, and we've got four more teams in store. Rhyme's a problem? Okay, I'll stop. This is the CFP Podcast, and you can find and follow a lot of today's info, plus a lot more by going to our website. It's cfpcollegefootball.com. You can also follow me, Chappie, on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. That's champion underscore L-I-T. As in, your receiver just got lit up on that cross. Well, used to anyway. Times there are changing. And the middle hits ain't what they used to be. But in the name of long-term safety, I will submit that it's probably for the better. But let's not de-escalate the toughness anymore, please. Anyway, this is preview epi number four, where we look at teams 16 through 13 in our great 28. And so far, we've counted down from 28 to 17 bringing you some of the most detailed examinations of what those teams are packing as they continue to mold, sharpen, and stock up the troops this offseason that precludes the 2021 college football campaign. And with all the good fortune, it's looking to be a return mostly to the normalcy and the pageantry we have grown to love, maybe with some masks here and there, but the product on the field is what we want and CFP is going to give you the looks you need. Once again, these projections are an analytical ranking that encompasses a team's returning production, that cumulative talent and depth on the rosters from where we stand right now, and their statistical efficiencies from last season. These are not yet a prediction of how teams will necessarily finish by season's end, but that is coming. I promise. We've covered 12 teams across five conferences. Six of those didn't even place in our great 28 to end last season, so some new blood which shows that we are not just going off of last year's fumes. We'll introduce four more teams today, including a team from the AAC, a conference which has not yet been represented on this countdown. Think you know who it'll be? Turn it up as we turn the page and go north to south and back up again with teams 16 through 13 on the CFP podcast. For number 16, we go out to the pastures of green, Dairyland, Cheeseville, That's Madison, Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen. And our 16 team, the Wisconsin Badgers. So Wisconsin last year was a very un-Wisconsin-esque four and three. Now, we need to remind everybody that COVID hit the Badgers about as hard as any program in the country. Wisconsin really suffered through the slings and arrows of the COVID pandemic in 2020. So what do they have coming back in 2021? Well, if you start on the offensive side of the ball, everybody looks at Graham Mertz, who completed 61% of his passes last year, but for only 177 yards per game and a 9-5 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. So he started off red hot against Illinois, really tapered off after that. He was solid, but certainly not the hyped quarterback that he was after week one. Will he get better? I'm sure he will, but a lot of that is going to revolve around two things. First of all, health at the running back position 
They really only bring back Jalen Berger, who was a very talented back. He averaged five yards per carry, 75 yards per game, only two touchdowns rushing on the ground. But Nikia Watson transferred, Garrett Groshek graduated, Isaac Garendo got a few carries last year, but nothing of major significance. And then Julius Davis will be back as a redshirt sophomore. Kind of explosive, but unless they're going to turn to a freshman, which they really only brought in, one from this year's class and not a lot of experience depth behind Berger. And Berger, by the way, was nursing a leg injury this spring, didn't really get a lot of action. So there's a concern there, but if he's healthy, Berger, another one of those Jersey products playing running back at Wisconsin, has the capability of being an all Big Ten back. The other area of note is wide receiver. So last year they were without Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis, their two top receivers going in for the majority of the season. Jack Dunn, back for his super senior season, led the team with 28 receptions among receivers, that is. Averaged nine yards per catch, 42 yards per game, only one touchdown through the air. Chimere DK had 12 catches for almost 16 yards per catch, but was explosive in the open field and was used on some end arounds and some space plays, we'll call it. So if Pryor and Davis can reemerge this year as the top two threats, Jack Dunn is your possession guy. DK is kind of the X factor. And coaches have been really high on A.J. Abbott this spring, saying that he's had a, a solid showing, and they're somebody that they're really hoping can emerge as maybe the fourth, even third receiver in that group behind Pryor and Davis and Dunn. Pryor was out most of the spring as well, rehabbing from a leg injury, and Danny Davis was billed as the top receiver coming out of the spring. Now, the best catching threat they have in 2021 is All-American candidate tight end Jake Ferguson, who will be back for his senior season. Some were a little surprised he did not declare for the NFL draft, but I think one more solid year of performance, adding some bulk, maybe improving his footwork. He had 30 catches last year for 10 yards per, 43 yards per game, four touchdowns, very big target, great hands, who is not afraid to get dirty and, and get the ball. Up front, we know this is O-lineman U. They lose Cole Van Lannan and John Dietzen on the left side, but they bring back three starters plus some reserves. You know that the Badgers are going to reload and restock up front, so I don't think many people are concerned about that offensive front at all, especially since they're headed by Joe Rudolph, who himself is a former offensive lineman in those Rose Bowl years in the early mid to mid 90s. He's coming back for his seventh year as the offensive coordinator, but Paul Christ is going to have a little bit more of a pulse and a thumbprint on what's going on with that offense because it did lag a little bit a season ago. Defensively, the Wisconsin Badgers were one of the best units in the country last year, top 10 in all significant defensive categories. Up front, they lose two good defensive ends in Loudermilk and Garrett Rand, but they bring back Matt Heddingson. In the middle, Keanu Benton is a worthy nose tackle. Isaiah Mullins had some good showing last year as well, along with Bryson Williams. So really, even though they play a three-man front, they go three deep at that nose guard position and relatively youthful there too, which means that the future is looking bright going forward, especially with defensive coordinator Jim Leonard at the helm. He's somebody who, if I'm an athletic director looking to bring somebody on to kind of revamp my program as a head coach, he is top on my list. So 
Badger fans, enjoy it while you can because I think that Leonard might be the next best thing to, to join the head coaching ranks, and I think that he's got a solid future ahead of him. Linebacker is the position where Wisconsin is going to be stacked this year, and it starts in the middle with Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel, who combined for 98 tackles in really just seven games a year ago. Ten tackles for loss between the two of them, four sacks, 12 quarterback hurries, very athletic but excellent tackling machines, nose for the ball. I think that those two are first-team All-Big Ten potential. And then on the outside of them, Nick Herbig, C.J. Getz, Noah Burke is coming back for his super senior season. So really, three quality outside backers, three quality inside backers when you add Mike Mascalunas back for his super senior season. Didn't put up a lot of stats last year, but just a grinder that coaches really like and, and somebody who exemplifies that gritty, tough, Wisconsin-style defense. In the secondary, Fayon Hicks and Caesar Williams will man the corners. They lose Rashad Wild Goose to the NFL, which I thought was a bit of a premature jump for Wild Goose, but best of luck to him in his endeavors going to the next level. They also bring back Scott Nelson, who was banged up for a portion of last year, has battled injuries through his career, but has really been solid. He reminds me a lot of Jim Leonard when Leonard played. But in terms of a leader, a captain of that secondary, if you will, Nelson really does a good job. He had two interceptions a year ago two pass breakups, four tackles for loss, and 22 tackles. Again, in somewhat limited time due to injury. He played six games, but really you could count it like five and a half because of injury protocol. Colin Wilder is also coming back. He really was the starting free safety for the majority of the season. 30 tackles, two pass breakups, and a quarterback hurry. They're pretty young in the secondary, but good things coming down the pipe from guys like Dante Burton and Duran Harrell at the corners. Harrell is going to be a senior this year, Burton a junior. But then you've also got someone like Samar Melvin, who played as a freshman a season ago. And then Tyler Mays and Titus Toller, who are younger safeties. John Torchio is another guy that kind of plays that Wisconsin safety really like, like a true Badger, just gets his nose into things and causes disruption. So the Badgers, like we said, very stout defensively, top 10 in a lot of major categories, third down defense, rush defense, pass efficiency defense. Jim Leonard does a really good job of disguising and mixing up coverages and plays in that style of they're going to punch you and then counter. They're going to really keep a quarterback guessing. And that's essentially what Leonard's philosophy is, is to keep the opposing quarterback unsure on every snap. And if you can get in a quarterback's head and you can waver his confidence at any level, then that's an initial win for that defense. And I think that's a big reason why Wisconsin is so good at what they do. Special teams, kicking is an issue. And Paul Christus said that it's continued to be an issue this spring. So Colin Larsh, Jack Van Dyke kind of shared the place kicking duties a year ago with Larsh getting the majority of the kicks. He was five of seven, but only hit a long of 31 yards. So look for the Badgers to be a team that might go for it a little bit more frequently on fourth downs, especially once they cross midfield. And if you've got a defense like the Badgers have, you can kind of afford to go for it that way, especially if they start to catch fire with Berger in the backfield and those receivers start to produce once again like they have in years past. In the return game, Devin Chandler is a pretty good talent returning kicks. Hunter Andy Vunavich, 34 punts for almost 42 yards per kick, 14 inside the 25 boomers of over 50 yards, so pretty good. 
The punt return game, they've got two good ones in Danny Davis and Jack Dunn. Solid return men. They can give you a little bit of a, a jolt running back punts. So I think special teams outside of place kicking is, is solid for Wisconsin, and, and they're always pretty good in the coverage units. So what does this mean for 2021? Well, if Wisconsin can regel that offensive line, if the receivers can stay healthy and provide downfield threats for Mertz to kind of balance out that run game, and if Jalen Berger can stay healthy and they get some, some help at that running back position, again, Wisconsin running the ball is pretty much a fixture in college football. So as an analyst, I'm not worried about it. Defensively, with Jim Leonard at the helm, I'm not worried about that either. This could potentially be a top 10, maybe even top 5 Wisconsin group if everything falls into place the right way. Paul Christ, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated coaches in college football. He runs a good system. He trusts a talented group of assistant coaches. And Wisconsin is now starting to recruit at a, at a much better level. So look out for the Badgers in 2021. But as we go in the spring, Wisconsin starts at number 16 in our great 28. Gaining ground in our great 28 of spring, we go to Gainesville, Florida, where Gator fans are chomping at the bit to see what's going to happen in 2021 post Kyle Trask, post Kyle Pitts, post Kadarius Tony. Well, let's be real, it's Florida. They reload, especially with a quality coach like Dan Mullen. Now I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but the guy wins, the guy knows offense, and so we can assume that the Gators are not gonna miss much of a beat on the point scoring side of the gridiron. But at quarterback, the big question is, who is it going to be? Now, Emory Jones is the slated starter. He completed 56% of his passes a year ago. Two to one touchdown ratio. Known to be a little bit more of a runner than a passer, but a lot of people in Florida circles say that he's going to balance this offense out a little bit. And in watching some film and talking to some people, Jones reminds me of another number five, a guy by the name of Bryce Perkins who played at Virginia when the Cavs won the ACC Coastal Division a few years ago under Bronco Mendenhall when people really didn't give that team and even Perkins a lot of chance. So Jones comes in as a junior and he's gonna be battling Anthony Richardson, who is really more of a classic pocket passer who Gator fans are kind of used to seeing. And then of course there's two really good freshmen in Carlos Del Rio and Jalen Kitna, but I don't think that that's the direction that Mullen wants to go, at least not this early, unless one of them lights it up in summer and fall camp. But whoever's playing quarterback is gonna have a good stable of versatile running backs to throw the ball to. Yes, I said throw the ball to, because Florida is not known really for letting their backs tote the rock. More so, they're getting the ball on swing routes out of the backfield and and also some routes like a receiver would run. Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, Naquan Wright, the three of them showed their skills on the outside a season ago. Pierce was really the best runner of the three, averaging 4.7 a carry, but for only 42 yards per game. Now, a big intrigue is going to be transfer portal addition Demarcus Bowman, who is a five-star running back, one of the top running backs in his class. He transferred from Clemson but the big question is, is he going to be eligible? So that was part of the reason why things didn't really work out the way that was hoped at Clemson. So if he can get eligible, if he can get on the field for the Gators, that's going to be a huge boost for them, especially trying to balance things out with the run. They also have former Miami transfer Lorenzo Lingard, 
who will be a junior this year. Now, he was a highly touted back, switched over, transferred to Gainesville last year, averaged 6.4 yards per carry, but only toted the rock five times. So maybe with an, an increased amount of touches this year, we could see something good from Lingard in that Florida backfield. So who is Jones or Richardson going to throw to? The Gators lose Kadarius Toney and Trevon Grimes, but they do bring back Jacob Copeland, who could end up being one of the better Gator receivers when all is said and done. They also bring back Justin Shorter, and the big buzz is on Xavier Henderson, CJ's younger brother. Xavier only had nine catches last year as a freshman, but averaged 16 yards when he caught the ball. A couple of youngsters in the wings as well, and Florida's always good at recruiting wide receivers. They've got a good one. Really the number four guy in this year's recruiting class, Dejon Reynolds, stands 6'2", 210 pounds, four-star recruit. So look for his name to be someone that emerges. At tight end, they lose Pitts, but they do have really three quality tight ends who can catch the ball and, and caught it with a good amount of frequency last year. Kimor Gamble, Trent Whittemore, Keon Zipperer. The three of them combined for 31 catches. All of them averaged over 11 yards per reception and had a total of six touchdowns between the three of them. So Pitts got all of the pub and the glory, but they still had three deep behind Pitts. So not a whole lot lost at tight end aside from Pitts's athletic ability. But in terms of what they can bring with this tight end group, I think it's still going to be pretty good. And they also have a, a good recruited tight end engage Wilcox 64225 out of Tampa Florida somebody who we could hear from down the road offensive line for Florida they lose two guys up front Stone Forsyth and Brett Heggie but they bring back Stuart Reese and Gene Delance at, on the right side at guard and tackle respectively Richard Garage is at the left guard spot so a good amount of guys coming back up front and they did a, a respectable job last year kind of protecting Kyle Trask I think their job's going to be made a little bit easier if Emory Jones is the guy playing quarterback for the majority of the season. Florida's offense last year, as you can expect under Dan Mullen, they were a top 15 pass offense in terms of efficiency, in terms of output. They made things happen when they put the ball in the air, and a big part of that was the talent of Kyle Trask the last two years, but a lot of that also comes from Dan Mullen, who in my opinion is one of the offensive geniuses and one of the most consistent offensive play callers in college football, and he's doing it in the SEC. So turn to the defensive side of the ball. Florida is going to be a lot better than advertised or a lot better than they may have appeared in 2020. Up front, they do lose TJ Slayton and Kyrie Campbell on the inside, but what they make up in the transfer portal is equivalent, if not maybe a slight bit better than what they had last year. Daquan Newkirk comes over from Auburn and Antonio Valentino, formerly Antonio Shelton from Penn State. Both guys contributed pretty significantly on their respective teams a season ago. They're going to add a lot of muscle and a lot of tenacity on the inside, and you team that with what they bring on the outside with Brenton Cox Jr., who had nine and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, and 18 QB hurries a season ago. Chris Bogle, a backup at that buck position behind Brenton Cox, Jeremiah Moon, who kind of plays a hybrid outside linebacker defensive end, so he'll get some time at that buck spot, and really the buck is the position where that's the person going after the quarterback and creating havoc. On the opposite side, Zachary Carter is a solid defensive end, a very good 5-7-9 uh, technique on the opposite side. He had 36 tackles a season ago, 9.5 tackles for loss, and 5 sacks. 
to go along with 12 QB hurries. So Florida was a team that really did a good job of getting after opposing quarterbacks. At the linebacker position, they really play that 4-2-5 scheme. So the two guys, for all intents and purposes, in the middle, Mohamed Diabate, seven and a half tackles for loss, five QB hurries, 68 total tackles. So he's a good guy in space, very athletic, more like a bigger version of a strong safety that can play that linebacker position and matches up well with opposing running backs and tight ends. Ventrell Miller is one of the most underrated linebackers in college football. 88 tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss. They lose a little bit of depth at that linebacker spot with James Houston and Josiah Pierre transferring, but Amari Bernie was a contributor with 52 tackles a season ago. Does a good job playing the run, but he can also drop back and, and cover the pass as well. Speaking of pass coverage, Kair Elam, is one of the top corners in the country. He was all SEC as a sophomore last year. 11 pass breakups, two interceptions, 39 tackles on the outside position. Jaden Hill will team opposite him. And I think they're not losing a lot with the loss of Marco Wilson. Wilson was a talent, but he kind of had his struggles both athletically and also a little bit from some head things last year. Everybody knows about the shoe incident against LSU. Chester Kimbrough transfers out. He's going to Michigan State. So those two, Elam and Hill, are going to be the two to look for at corner. And Florida has a lot of good young talent, a lot of athletes who can step in at that corner spot. They do lose their top three safeties in Steiner, Stewart, and Sean Davis, but Trey Dean and Rashad Torrance are a good tandem that do return this year. Trey Dean has been a, a fixture and, and a, a heady veteran for the Gators in their secondary. Also look out for Trevez Johnson, who had a pretty good freshman campaign a year ago. He'll be playing that star position in the secondary for Todd Grantham. Now, a lot of eyes and a lot of heat is going to be put on Grantham because it was noted of some of the blow-ups that Dan Mullen had with his longtime D coordinator dating back to Mississippi State and, and Grantham also has spent time at, at some other quality programs where he's done a good job but this is going to be the year where I think it's kind of make it or break it for Grantham because Florida's still looking to take that next step and leap over Georgia on a consistent basis. Now they did represent the SEC East in the championship game a season ago but this is something that Florida fans and Florida administration expect to happen consistently and not just once every three or four years playing second fiddle to the dogs out in Athens. Special teams, the Gators have a pretty good pair of kickers. So Evan McPherson put 40 of 80 kickoffs for touchbacks a year ago, 50% for those who don't feel like doing the math. And then as place kicker, he was 17 of 22 including 6 of 11 from 40 yards or beyond. And then they lose Jacob Finn at punter, but Jeremy Crenshaw and Aussie Punna is somebody who only kicked it twice last year but averaged 49 yards per punt and rolled one inside the 20. So a lot of good things to expect from Crenshaw. I think that they'll be just fine at that punter position, teaming with McPherson as a solid place kicker. They do lose Kadarius Tony in the return game, both returning kicks and punts. So there will be some new faces in the return game for the Gators. But again, guys like Xavier Henderson or some of their other young talent who you get the ball in their mitts, you give them a couple of blocks, give them a crease, and they can make things happen. They've been doing it in Gainesville for a long time, and I don't see anything changing for this season. So the Gators, again, they can nail down that quarterback spot, and if Emory Jones can perform 
slightly better than Gator fans even are expecting. If if he can manage that offense and if they get a little bit more balance from the run game this year, especially if Bowman is eligible, offensively they'll be fine. Defensively, I think they take a step forward. I think that Grantham is going to take advantage and will benefit from a lot of those aggressive athletes on defense. And somebody that I forgot to mention was Jervon Dexter, who to me is going to be the next big thing at defensive tackle, a big athlete, 19 tackles a season ago. He even had an interception from his D-tackle position. Teaming that with some solid special teams, the Gators very well could be a top 10, top 5 team. They could repeat as SEC East champ. But Georgia's looking pretty good, so that's going to be the game of the year in the SEC when the Gators and the Dogs go head-to-head in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I know we're not supposed to call it that anymore, but... So, Florida, our number 15 team in the Great 28 of Spring. At number 14, we go down to the bayou for the LSU Tigers. Coach O, in his fifth season in charge at LSU, had a bit of a down season last year, and it was based on a variety of factors. COVID, I know, was something that was going rampant through the LSU program. Also, other off-the-field issues that may have been slight distractors, but still, what you could say about the Tigers is that they played well in close games. They were 3-1 and one in games decided by seven points or less a season ago. They played three top 10 opponents and finished one and two against those squads. Offensively, LSU has a pretty crowded quarterback room. You could say that they go three deep. I think it really amounts to just two, Miles Brennan or Max Johnson. Now, Brennan was injured last year, completed 60% of his passes for 370 yards per game and 11 to three touchdown to interception ratio. Those are really good numbers. As he's rehabbing from his injury, he's gonna have to fight off sophomore Max Johnson, who completed 58% of his passes for 178 yards a tick, an 8-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. So what you could say about those two quarterbacks is they did a good job protecting the football and made efficient use of their time on the field. Because of that, they had a highly effective pass game. And they lose Terrace Marshall, but they do get back sophomore Kayshawn Kickenbute, as well as Jeray Jenkins, John Trey Kirkland, Coy Moore had an impressive freshman campaign a season ago, and then you've also got speedster Trey Palmer. So they go about four or five deep, but we also know that they brought in some good receiving recruits and receiving talent, as they typically do. And I think because of the efficiency of that pass game, we're going to see an improvement in the run game this year. And they've got two pretty good backs, Terion Davis-Price and John Emery. Both will be juniors this year. Davis-Price averaged 4.3 yards a clip. Emery was at 5 yards per carry. Combined, they had 6 touchdowns. Now, LSU finished near the bottom in rush offense a season ago. But I think part of that was their offensive line was not as good as we're used to seeing an LSU crew up front. They do bring back all five starters, but they were 84th in sacks allowed. And like we talked about, their rush offense numbers, they were 109th in running the football a season ago. So that's something that needs to improve. Now they bring in Jake Peets and DJ Mangus, who are both in their first year as co-offensive coordinators. They do have ties to Joe Brady, who was the offensive whiz that came in in 2019 and did wonders with Joe Burrow. Now, I'm not going to sit here and suggest that Brennan or Johnson is a Heisman candidate, but given the numbers they put up under Steve Ensminger last year, with 
these two passing inclined coordinators I think we can expect even better numbers through the air from Brennan and or Johnson. And because of that, again, a little bit more balance with, with two skilled backs in the backfield. Defensively, LSU has really nowhere to go but up. It was seen as a failure in Bo Pelini's one and only season calling the defense in Baton Rouge. He was let go and they bring in Durante Jones. Now they get a big addition at linebacker with Mike Jones transferring over from Clemson, who has been a perennial Final Four team. And Jones certainly was somebody who, in his freshman year, played a big part. He was injured through part of last year, but wanted to be a little bit more of an integral part playing as a true linebacker near the line of scrimmage. He was kind of used more as a, a linebacker in space, almost like a, a strong safety type linebacker at Clemson. So he's going to stay a Tiger, but he's going to be wearing the, the yellow and the purple for LSU. And he's got a good group in front of him and he's got a good group behind him. So looking up front, Allie Gay was all SEC defensive end a year ago. He's coming back, bringing with him nine and a half tackles for loss, six pass breakups and five quarterback hurries. He was a, a good Havoc player. They also have Andre Anthony at the other defensive end and then B.J. Ojolari was an impressive freshman a year ago. 16 tackles, but 12 of them were open field solo tackles. He had five tackles for loss, four sacks, and three quarterback hurries. So another guy who poses a, a rush advantage as defensive end, outside linebacker, kind of playing that hybrid look. They've got Neil Farrell and Glenn Logan in the middle, as well as Jaqueline Roy, who played considerable amounts as a freshman a year ago. 18 tackles, four tackles for loss, and a pair of sacks. In the middle is where they're going to be looking to break in a new starter, and they're going to play more of a 4-3 look. And so junior college transfer, Navantecue Strong, is going to be looked at to kind of fill that middle linebacker role. But outside of him, we talked about Jones. He's also got Damone Clark and Micah Baskerville who will play the outside. So really three guys who can rotate on the outside as well as Ojolari who can play that spot. Behind those guys though, there's some inexperience at that inside linebacker. Really the only player who returns with any sort of significant contributions is Josh White who was a freshman a year ago, had six tackles. So the loss of Jabril Cox in the middle hurts. But with the talent that they have in the front four, and even more so in the back four behind them, I think is going to kind of mask that uh, inexperience in the middle until they can get caught up in the system. So speaking of that secondary, three really good corners. Derek Stingley, who was all SEC his freshman and sophomore year last year, and he was kind of, he took a step back last year statistically, but still put up quite a showing. Cordell Flott and Eli Ricks are the two other corners. Flott had some pretty good numbers, 43 tackles, four pass breakups, and four tackles for loss, but Eli Ricks was the better cover guy. Five PBUs and four interceptions to go along with his 20 tackles. So Stingley and Ricks will most likely be the, the starting two with Flott kind of being that nickel corner. They also have Todd Harris and Jay Ward playing safety. Those two will, will make a, a pretty good pair. Maurice Hampton Jr is another one who is slated to get a good amount of snaps. So really you've got three deep at corner, three deep at safety. Those five or six will combine to make a formidable force in that back end for the LSU defense. Special teams. LSU comes in with quite possibly the most talented special teams unit top to bottom. So their kickoff guy, Avery Atkins, 46 of 60 kickoffs went for touchbacks a year ago. 
Cade York was All-SEC as a sophomore, 18 of 21 in the field goal department. He hit nine field goals beyond 40 yards, and six of those came from 50-plus with a long of 57. He, of course, made that game-winning kick against Florida in the swamp after the shoe-throwing incident, so he's certainly going to be reliable to put points on the board for LSU in tight games. They lose Zach von Rosenberg, who is a very good punter, but in the return game, Trey Palmer averaged 34 yards per kick return, including a 94-yard run back for a score. Derek Stingley had a 16-yard punt return average. Coy Moore averaged 8 yards per punt return. There's also Kayshawn Butte, who brought back a few kicks for a 15-yard average. I think you can expect that number to go up a little bit more this year. So overall, LSU looking pretty good in the special teams department, and you've got to figure that they're going to have somebody who will be able to step in and, and put toe to leather in the punting department. And those punts are not going to be needed as much because I think that we're going to see a pretty high-scoring LSU offense given what they've got coming back and given the direction that they have from their new co-offensive coordinators. So if LSU can manage what looks to be a, a relatively tougher schedule this year, they're certainly going to be battle-tested. But don't be surprised if LSU enters November in the top 10, looking at a potential berth in the SEC championship should they be able to get Alabama. Now they have to play in Tuscaloosa, so I think most smart money is gonna be on the Tide winning that one. But LSU could also be that prime example that we've seen in the SEC where that one loss is to a quality team like Bama and they could find themselves with a playoff berth with one loss being in SEC play. So LSU Tigers, they're our number 14 team in the Great 28. Coming in at unlucky number 13 on our college football CFP Great 28 is really a lucky team, the Cincinnati Bearcats. And they made their own fortunes. And Luke Fickle is somebody who, when you, when you talk about a coach building something and earning respect, garnering a lot of the deserved attention, it's Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats. So last year, they were the darling group of five team. They went nine and one. They were a perfect nine and oh until they almost got the number nine Georgia Bulldogs in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. They lost on a last second field goal, a deep boomer. But up until that point, Cincinnati pretty much dominated that contest. They were two and one in close games and they went a pretty impressive three and one against top 25 opposition. So it wasn't like their nine wins were against a bunch of scrubs. They beat number 22 Army, they beat number 16 SMU, they beat number 23 Tulsa in the AAC Championship game. And like we said, their only blemish was to a ninth ranked Georgia team who going into 2021 is a legitimate national championship favorite. So offensively, Desmond Ritter comes back for his senior season and, and I think it was a good move. I, I don't see him as a pro quarterback after three seasons. He could work himself into a mid-round draft pick in 2022, maybe even higher depending on how this season goes. Now he was a pretty efficient passer, 66% completion, 229 yards a game, 19 touchdowns to just six interceptions, but he also was very elusive with his feet. Six yards per carry, one of the best rush averages by any starting quarterback in the nation. He averaged 59 yards rushing on the ground as well and 12 touchdowns. So. A total of 31 scores from number nine for the Bearcats. Clearly one of the best in the AAC, and he's gonna be the leader of that offense. And he's got a very good supporting cast around him. They lose Jared Dokes, but they bring back Jerome Ford, 
Charles McClellan averaged 5.2 yards per carry as their number three back a season ago. Now Ford, going back to him, he's a transfer from Alabama, was 6.6 yards per carry, only 48 yards per game. Expect that number to go up to hover right around the 100-yard mark. At receiver, very talented, very deep, Michael Young Jr., who was a transfer from Notre Dame. He's back, Alec Pierce is back, Trey Tucker, Jordan Jones, they also have one of the best tight ends in the country in Josh Wiley, 28 catches, 12 yards per reception, six touchdowns for number 81 at that tight end spot. Alec Pierce is just a fun guy to watch. He'll go up and get the ball no matter what you ask of him and no matter what sort of toll it takes on his body. Now he was out with injury for the first part of the year, but when he came back, he averaged 18 yards a catch, 52 yards per game. He was really the go-to receiver when he was healthy. Trey Tucker, quick, he's one of those sweeper guys who will take it on end arounds. He'll also catch the ball and move well in space. Young was a legitimate go-to guy and, and a pretty good deep threat as well. Jordan Jones is, one, is a transfer from Arkansas, a speedster, averaged 12 yards per catch. He's coming back for his extra senior season. Cincinnati brings back three starters on the offensive line, but they do get a transfer, James Tunstall, who comes from Stony Brook. Now, Tunstall is going to be a grad transfer and did some pretty good things at Stony Brook. He's looking to maybe step in and fill up that tackle spot, whether it's for Darius Harper on the right side or James Hudson on the left side. They also bring back sophomore center Jake Renfro, who coaches are really high on him. He's somebody who could be an all-conference center for the next three seasons, assuming that he stays for all three. And that may have been part of the reason why last year starter Jakari Robinson felt that he could transfer because of the fact that he was getting pushed so hard. And I think that maybe the writing was on the wall that Renfro is looking to be the, the future in the middle. They're anchoring that line for the Bearcats. Defensively, Cincinnati, they were very good defensively, and a lot of the credit goes to the players, but a good chunk of it also goes to Marcus Freeman. He's gone. He went out to Notre Dame to be their D coordinator and fill the spot left by Clark Lee. So Mike Tressel comes back to Cincinnati. They're, you know, The Tressels have ties with Ohio. I believe Mike Tressel was there with Mark D'Antonio when D'Antonio was the coach at Cincinnati. So he'll be running the defense for Fickle, and Fickle, as always, will have a pulse on that defense, being a former defensive coordinator and a defensive-minded coach. Up front, MyJ Sanders and Malik Van, Curtis Brooks will play at D-tackle, and they get another quality transfer in Jawan Briggs, who started seven games for, for Virginia a year ago. He'll join them and be a junior this season, so those four will team up and, and make a pretty formidable front. At linebacker, they lose Jarrell White, but Darian Beavers decides to come back for a super senior season, as does Joel DeBlanco. So the two of them, a good pair of tacklers, 109 tackles between the two of them. Beavers had seven and a half tackles for loss. DeBlanco had five and a half tackles for loss, but very active in the pass defense game and also in, in run stopping. Ty Van Fossen stepped up in place of Jarrell White when, when needed and Van Fossen had 28 tackles, but 19 of them were solo stops, five tackles for loss. So the guy is a, a good tackler in space. Brody Engel and Deshaun Pace are two other players who will get some time, and Jaheim Thomas was a former four-star recruit. He'll be a sophomore this year. He's a good one that coaches and people inside the program are saying to keep an eye on. In the secondary, maybe the best corner tandem, not just in the AAC, but in the Midwest, Kobe Bryant and Ahmad Sauce Gardner. 
So Bryant comes back for his super senior season after making 35 tackles with 31 of them, the solo variety, four interceptions and seven pass breakups. He had an outstanding goal line interception against Georgia in the first half of that Peach Bowl last year. Gardner, again, a guy that they call Sauce. He runs his mouth, but he also runs his feet, and, and he runs up the stats for that defense. Just a, a good lockdown, shutdown corner on the outside. Six pass breakups, three interceptions, 28 tackles a year ago. Arquan Bush is another guy that can play that nickel spot. He had 20 tackles and three pass breakups in last season's success. Derek Forrest and James Wiggins, their two safeties are gone, but Brian Cook and Javon Hicks will seemingly step in and the Bearcats shouldn't lose much ground with the two of them as they got considerable amount of playing time last year. And that's one of the, the biggest benefits that Cincinnati saw in the fact that they didn't have a lot of close games. Their first six or seven contests were, were by wide margins and that allowed some of those players defensively, but also offensively to get that experience and get that game time logged. So that way when this season comes up, they're primed and they're ready. Special teams, since he has a good crew. Cole Smith is both their kickoff guy and their place kicker. He decided to come back for a super senior season. He was 70% on field goal attempts a year ago. Only had one from beyond 40 yards, but a pretty solid place kicker and has proven in the past that he can hit from longer. But again, given how successful their offense was last year in scoring points, they didn't really call upon Smith to put it between the pipes very often. They lose James Smith, their punter, but Mason Fletcher is a guy who came from the same Australian punting academy that, that James Smith came from. So there's going to be some familiarity and, and we've seen that Australia is, is sending over a, a lot of talented punters and that's something that Cincinnati has certainly reaped the benefits of. Now in the return game, Trey Tucker put a 30-yard average on his kick returns a year ago, pretty much taking back all of the duties for Cincinnati. He was an all-AAC return specialist for those honors. And then Ryan Montgomery, returning punts, had a clip of 7.9 per runback. So on both ends, kicks and punts, they pose some pretty dangerous threats. And then their long snapper, Cason Pfeiffer, returns after a solid redshirt freshman season. So a good amount of experience on special teams, and that's an area that Luke Fickle takes very seriously and, and has produced some, some quality units. So if Cincinnati can clean up on the penalties, they were one of the more penalized teams a year ago, and offensively, they're gonna need to cut down on the amount of turnovers. They ranked in the triple digits in terms of giving the ball away. It was mostly due to fumbles. Ritter was pretty good at protecting the football through the air. He did have six interceptions that he threw but the bigger concern is the amount of fumbles that hit the carpet. So if Cincinnati can clean those areas up and get just a little bit more efficient in the red zone offensively, I think we're looking at another season where the Bearcats could potentially flirt with not just being the best group of five team, but if they get wins over teams like Notre Dame in South Bend and they beat some quality AAC opponents like UCF, or Tulsa perhaps, or even SMU. Any of those teams could be ranked at the time that they play the Bearcats. And then since he also travels to Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, Indiana to play last year's surprise team, the Indiana Hoosiers in week three. So 
if they can beat a Big Ten team on the road, if they can beat Notre Dame on the road and get two or three ranked AAC victories, we could be looking at a Cincinnati team that, if they get some outside help, could be a top five team, maybe even flirting with being that first group of five team that cracks the top four and gets in. But as we see it right now, Cincinnati, the number 13 team in our spring great 28. 16 to 13 with enough steam for championship dreams. Think I'm right? You're in good company. Think I'm wrong? Let's hear it. Either way, sound off on Twitter. At champion underscore lit is where you can reach me. Or if you want it to be more one-on-one, -on -one, email me at cfpcollegefootball at gmail.com. And if chatter isn't your cheddar, but you want a lot more college football info to swim through, please go to our website. It's cfpcollegefootball.com. Here you can take an even closer look, not only at the teams we were just talking about, but the others in our great 28 and all Power 5 squads, as well as an increasing number from the group of five and more coming in throughout the weeks. We'll cover all the conferences, the teams, the individual players, news and interesting insight from across the country. We show no major allegiances. We just want to be your college football place. We are the CFP. Stay tuned for more of our audio previews on the CFP podcast, soon to be steady in your football get ready. Please subscribe and review and reach out to me at champion underscore lit, or again, email me at cfpcollegefootball at gmail.com. I'd love to read and answer some of your questions on air and fuel the dialogue among this great community. This has been the CFP Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chappie, and this is what I know.